<laughs> so you so, started yeah. your own podcast literally the same month and year that I started my book series. Uh, you, did you start yours in June? Yeah, that was when I first published the first one. Oh. <laughs> Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Chris, and today Dustin and I will be talking about my middle grade book series, Twisted Books to Leave You Shook, coming up next. So you have a long to be read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, because Dustin can read. Dustin can read. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dustin Can Read, a show where I prove, in fact, that I can read at least at school age level. <laughs> in this episode, I'll be talking with Chris, a.k.a. C.S. James, the author of Twisted Books to Leave You Shook. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I don't know, but I sound like a radio DJ for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> it took me over. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing, other than that, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Um, audience, I, I met Chris via Instagram where I've met a lot of my guests actually. And, um, I came across his promotional pics on, you know, for his, uh, twisted books to leave you shook profile. And I thought, well, this guy seems like someone to watch. So I followed and now here we are. So Chris, you have two books that we'll be discussing today, Fright Filter and Toy Horror Story, both of which released in 2020, AKA the craziest year ever. <laughs> And like you said, you you released your. I just you know found this out that you released your um, first book, Fright Filter, in June of 2020 when I started this podcast. So that's right. That's pretty cool. So, but you self published via Amazon, correct? Yes, that's right. Um, I intended to self publish from the beginning. Um, I actually wanted to be a screenwriter for the longest time, and part of being a screenwriter is you kind of just have to get your foot in the door. And it depends on somebody else giving you a yes, um, somebody giving you the approval to go forward with it. And I kind of got sick of waiting for that yes and getting all of those rejections. So I said, screw it. I'm going to be my own yes. I'm going to self-publish. I'm going to do this all myself. And that's kind of where the whole thing started from. Okay, cool. So basically you were impatient. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Well, I mean, hey, you know what? Go ahead and do it. If you want to get it done and you can have the means to do it, do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Why not? Well, it was a pleasure to read these. It was it was right. I mean, I breezed through them really quick, which for someone like me, I have such a distracted mind. It's a good thing because it means I was drawn in. So, you you know, good job there. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, it usually takes me a bit to read anything. So, hence why I do this show. That's kind of to encourage myself to read more. <laughs> No, I'm the same way. I see a, a giant book and I'm intimidated to start it even. Um, same thing with TV shows. If I look at a TV show and I see that it's already on like season 11 or something, I won't even start it. I'm just way too far gone. I'm like, nope, I'm, I don't have the time. I don't have the attention span. I can't do it. So for yeah. me, this series, uh, I kind of wrote it with myself in mind. You know, I wanted to be that person that wrote a series that catered to those people with short attention spans and somebody that can breeze through something in one sitting and then they can just be done with it and call it a day. It has a great voice to it. That's what I loved about it. And it, it was just, you know, it felt it was a relaxed read. It didn't feel like I had to force myself to move through, you know, I want to get to the plot. Come on, let's go. Let's go. You know, it was really good. It moved really easily. Yeah. And I think that goes back to my screenwriting background because in screenwriting, you know, you can't have a lot of superfluous details. It just has to be very cut and dry what you see, what you hear. And books are a totally different, um, 
outlet, I guess you could say, because you get that chance to get inside of a character's head. You get the chance to describe their backgrounds and their history. But at the same time, I think if you get too far into that, you lose the point of the story in the first place. So I tried to keep that screenwriting mindset and, and kind of carry it over to writing an actual book. Yeah, I noticed that because it was very um, dialogue driven, which is very, you know, screenwriting, <laughs> you, you know, um, screenplay. Like, I don't know if I said screenwriting. What the hell? I'm making up words. Um, <laughs> yeah. Despite the obvious pandemic and the political stuff of last year, you had a pretty big year last year. I mean, besides, yeah. you know, you had the, the, both the books. You also, you know, you, you moved last year, apparently. Yes. And I, um, I also saw that you went to the Roseanne house, which was awesome. Oh my gosh. The best. So jealous. So cool. Uh, I, I mean, I personally, like, I, you know, do you have like places you want to go, like different like landmark television places and stuff like I do? <laughs> Obviously, um, you do. Yes. I literally have a whole list. And there's actually um, an Instagram uh, website that I guess goes to all of these filming locations of horror movies. Uh, and they actually show the movies in these locations. I can't remember what the name of it is. Maybe you know. But um, I've always wanted to do that. They did one recently. Um, my sister lives out in North Carolina, and they did one for the filming location, if I know what you did last summer, at the department store where Sarah Michelle Gellar's character gets chased. And I was oh, like, I man. wanted to go to that so bad. And I don't know if they're ever going to do it again, but hopefully one day. Was it in Wilmington, North Carolina? Maybe. That sounds right. Because that's that was around the time that – because that was a Kevin Williamson – movie and i'm pretty sure it probably was Wilmington, north carolina because that's where they filmed dawson's creek right and, and i've been to wilmington north carolina and i took play i took pictures of all these places that that they shot in dawson's creek <laughs> <laughs> it was i was oh my god i was like this is the wall that pacey bought for joey to paint on <laughs> it was so stupid but i have all these pictures still and i totally did that it's really really sad but i like i kind of want to go to san francisco too to like because there's so many places there that I want to see. Like I want to see the, the San Francisco real world house. I want to see a bunch of the, the houses and places where they shot for tales of the city. You know, I'm just, I get really geeky about that, <laughs> but yeah, I really do want to see the Roseanne house too. I am really jealous. Do they like, is it like marked as landmarks type of thing? No, I mean, there's people living in that house. I think um, it might actually be college kids because when I went, um, there were actually like, younger guys just like going in and out of the house and it seemed to be pretty busy. So I think they kind of turned it into like an unofficial frat house. Um, and then the house across the street from the Roseanne house was actually for sale at the time. And I looked at the flyer uh, and it, first of all, it was only like 140,000. I was like, I can pay 140,000 to live the street from the Roseanne house. And it was in the, uh, the, the description too. Like if you read about the house, like how many bedrooms, bathrooms, all that. And it says like across the street from the Roseanne house. I was like, Oh my gosh, this needs to happen. Did you keep uh, the flyer? I think I did. I don't even know if I did or not, but I oh. wanted that house so bad. Yeah. So you mentioned you've also, you've written some screenplays and stuff and published in some, you got published in some other literary anthologies as well in the past, right? Didn't you do? Right. I saw that. Yes. Um, I started screenwriting first because I was eight years old and I saw Scream and I literally looked at my mom and I said, I want to do that. I want to write a movie. And uh, my mom actually at the, um, at the time, she worked at a movie theater. Um, she had been working at a movie theater for probably like four or five years prior. And she was the film projectionist. So as a kid growing up, I used to be able to go into the theater for free 
And Ooh. she would either be, you know, working behind the scenes or doing whatever. She would have to stay overnight sometimes to help put up like different displays, you know, for new movies. I would have been your best friend. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I used to get the, um, like back when the original Power Rangers came out, I had the cardboard cutouts like in my room. Oh, it was the best. Oh uh, man, I would have been so jealous. <laughs> I was so naive as a kid that I would go and see these movies. I'll never forget. I think I went in and saw Thumbelina when it came out. So I was what, four or five years old. I can't remember. And I came out of the theater and my mom was there and I uh, looked at her and I said, mom, you did a really good job with that one. I thought she made the movies. Like I didn't understand at the time that she was the projectionist and she just put the movie on to like, you know, show other people. I thought literally she like created the whole thing. So my mom growing up for like a good hot minute was my hero. Like she was just like, oh my gosh, you you did all this by yourself. This is amazing. And so she's not Hans Christian Anderson. I'm sorry. (laughs) Of course, when I found out how everything works, I was like, okay, but that's still pretty cool that, you know, you're able to do this. And ever since then, and then especially when Scream came out and I saw that movie, I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. And I want to make a movie and I want to take my mom to the theater that she worked at and, you know, project my movie onto the screen and say, this happened and it happened because of you. And that was just like my whole motivation going forward. And um, so, yeah, that's what I started doing when I was 15 years old. I read as many screenplays as I could. I started communicating with a bunch of people um, that also wanted to be screenwriters. There's a website called simplyscripts.com that really just taught me almost everything I needed to know about screenwriting. And it gave me so many opportunities that I would not have been afforded otherwise. And that's actually how I got most of my screenplays produced. And they've all been short films, but you know, it's just, it's, it's so cool that you're just able to a matter of time, Chris, just a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would love to be a screenwriter. My dream is to just, you know, write movies and, and TV shows and, and just have that be my career. But like I said, it's just about getting your foot in the door and somebody telling you yes. And the thing about screenwriting is you are pretty much the person that makes it happen, but the last person to be paid because nobody wants to pay you for your idea. And so for short films, for example, I think people have this perception that I've made like money a lot off of these. And it's really not the case for most of my short films. I've been giving them away for free just to build like a portfolio and say, hey, I can do this. This is what I'm capable of. Pay me, like hire me, you know. <laughs> see, and, see, I've done things. And then <laughs> I, I, know, features, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that. with features, like. For me, I I cannot give away a feature for free or for cheap. Like that takes so much time. It takes so much work. And, you know, so much of you goes into that, that you just, you want to see it taken care of. And so of course it goes back to people being stingy and and not wanting to pay the writers. So they just kind of sit and until they fall into the right hands, that's all they do is they sit. So that's where I kind of turned my attention to writing books. And I said, you know what? I don't need somebody else to give me permission to do this. I don't need somebody else to give me a yes. And at least this way, I'm actually getting people to read it, you know, with screenwriting, unless it becomes a movie, nobody's really interested in picking it up and reading it, you know, so you don't even get feedback, you don't get that, you know, that readership. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to read my stuff and say, Hey, you know, this is what I think, you know, you could do better. This is what I think you're doing really well. And, And just, you know, get that kind of reception that you need to grow as a writer. And so this was my opportunity to do that. And so far it's worked out really well. Oh, good. That's awesome. To both of the released uh, Twisted Books, To Leave You Shook, there are short stories by other authors included. 
So you have, um, it started with a niche by Sean Elwood, which is at the end of Fright Filter, which is about a girl who buys a magical acne cream. And then you have A Blessing in Disguise by Cameron Munsoon at the end of Toy Horror Story. And it's about a girl who finds something mysterious and eerie in the woods behind her house. So, you know, I like that additional story idea, which is cool, because just in case the kids want a little more, was that what you were going for? Yeah, there were actually two reasons for it. Number one, I really wanted almost like a dessert. Like you finish this main story and it's got this uh, single subgenre that it kind of sticks to. And then the little after story is kind of in the same uh, subgenre. And it gives you a little taste of what somebody else can do with the same material, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of like. It's like when I used to read when I read Goosebumps back when they were coming out in the nineties and they would have like the little the couple you know, sample chapters of the next book and it would kind of just kind of, you know, tease you to make you want to read more, but it was, you know, it was something I wanted more. It was like, ah, you know, so that was a that's what that kind of reminded me of a little bit. Right. So I made it a point that each story is gonna be relevant to the actual book itself. So Fright Filter was about a girl whose uh, identity basically changes when she uses a filter app on her phone and it turns her into a monster. So I wanted something similar of like body horror, you know, think the fly or, you know, something like that. And so I I reached out to my friend Sean and Sean is one of the best writers on the planet, just and a really good friend of mine. And uh, I said, can you do this for me? Like, can you make a, a body horror story for kids? And he went out and he did it. He knocked it out of the park. And that was my second reasoning for wanting to do this is I know so many writers and storytellers that are so good. Like they, I don't understand how they don't do this for a living and they don't get the opportunities that other people get, you know? And I'm just like, this is my chance to really give them a platform. Yeah. Give everybody a leg up. Yeah. And, and so that was another thing too, is I really just wanted a different voice in each book. You know, I wanted people to be able to say like, maybe this main story wasn't for me, but this short story at the end, loved it. Totally worth the price of the book, you know, or vice versa. You know, that's the thing about taste. You know, you never know what somebody's going to like or not like. And I love that there's variety in each of the books. So, yeah, I agree. That's, I think that's a good, it was a good choice. It was a really good choice. And plus, you know, it, it might, you know, give somebody an opportunity, you know, like you said, like your, your friends or that are writers and you give them, you know, this opportunity and maybe they get some good feedback and they're like, you know what, this gave me the confidence to go ahead and do a full buck now, you know? So thanks for that. Even, you know, it works on both ends, works for them and works for the audience. Exactly. So I thought that was cool. Also, I want to um, point out the, uh, the cover design. Um, okay. Yeah. It was designed by Daniel Gerkin. That's right. Um, both of the books actually were designed by Daniel Gerkin and both illustrated by Omero Esparza. Yes. Which did a great job. Awesome job there. Oh, thank you. And there was a neat, another neat addition that I thought, I, you know, really shows to your character. Um, you added in for information about scares that care in the back. Yes. Because um, I read the, the Kindle edition. I'm sure it's, I don't know if it's in the actual physical book, but it's in the Kindle edition. Yes, it is in both books. Yeah. And it, you know, it seems like it's a great cause in it because it says, I'm going to quote it real quick. Scares that care is a hundred percent volunteer organization focused on fighting real monsters of childhood illnesses burns and breast cancer. They help families who are experiencing hardships cope with financial burden by raising and providing $10,000 per recipient family. And then it gives you information to contact them at scaresthatcare.org. 
which is really cool. I just thought that was a really neat thing that you added that in. Yeah, and it's a really important cause to me. Um, Joe Ripple, who is the founder and CEO of Scares That Care, um, he's a friend of mine, and he used to make um, indie horror films. And so he's done like the whole uh, festival circuit and uh, horror film conventions. And he saw that there were so many generous, nice horror fans. You know, you think of horror and you just think of like weirdos and people dressing all in black and, you know, that kind of thing. But really, the, the horror community is one of the nicest, most giving communities that are out there. And so he saw that and basically said, we can use our, our shared interest to help other people. And that's really what he's done. And it's such an incredible cause. I can't say enough things about it. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so happy that he gave me the permission to even promote it in the book because I'm, it's such an important cause to me. And I hope people will look into it and, and hopefully whatever you can, you know, donate and help out. Okay. Let's get on to book one, Fright Filter. Now, I won't get into spoiling anything with this book, I promise. However, I definitely <laughs> I definitely started with this one first, and I was pleasantly surprised at the narrative, like I said. So let me give you just the setup to the story to start you off. So the story is fo- focused mainly on Nicole. She's a typical average tween obsessed with technology nowadays specifically social media and all the fun pictures you can take with all the photo filters. You know, the augmented reality ones where you can make yourself look like a Bratz doll or Shrek or an angel halo over your head. So Nicole has a troublemaker of a best friend named Jessica. Jessica, for me, I picture like the shadiest drag queen in grade school form. (laughs) Like like someone from RuPaul's Drag Race has just been like body swapped with a little girl. (laughs) She's like, she's just like, and Jessica's like the result of that body swap. It's just like, I don't know what it is. It's just the way she says things like, bye girl, at the end of the phone conversations. <laughs> and stuff. I don't know what it is. I am going to correct you for just a second because I think her name was Rebecca. Was it Rebecca? I thought it was Jessica. I'm going to look at my book really quick just to confirm. Uh, yeah, it's Rebecca. What the hell? Where did I get Jessica from? I don't know. That's her middle name. In- Jessica. <laughs> Cause I wrote down Jessica as I was reading it. <laughs> <laughs> what the F I got Nicole, right? Though, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's really not a bit. I mean, Rebecca, Jessica, Ashley, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what? Rebecca's a pitch too. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. I don't know where that came from. Oh, it has a cut at the end. That's probably what it was. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yes, Rebecca, she is. She's a little drag queen. <laughs> she is. But, you know, she's also a really bad influence on Nicole, you know. So be careful what you hang who you hang with, kids. Just it's this true. Don't, you know, watch out who you hang out with. One day, um Rebecca gets Nicole to set up Patty, the sweet homely girl in their house in their class. Just so, you know, Rebecca can take a picture and make Patty look foolish by putting like a pig filter over her. I mean, you know, and uh, poor Patty. I just feel really bad for her. So did you know, I'm like, let me ask you this, by the way. Did you name her after Patty Mayonnaise? Uh, No, actually, I named her after a character in Hey Arnold. Okay, because I don't know why the description of her just kind of reminded me of Patty Mayonnaise. But like, I could see that. 
I don't know what it was. Kind of that olive oil type look. I don't know. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Anyway, so somehow a new app appears on Nicole's phone. And it has, has a bunch of cool filters and she can mess around with it. And then, so she tries a few, you know, and most of them are like monster filters, like witches and scaly creatures and mummies and stuff like that. And she doesn't think much of it at first until she wakes up and notices she's actually turned into one of these ghastly images that she was just playing with. So the rest of the story, it really picks up there as Nicole figures out the source of these cursed photo filters, culminating in a great twisted ending and it was, I mean, I was really bracing for the twist at the end, but it was great. And uh, it has this big haunted mask qualities to it. But I also, I think that Nicole is a bit smarter than Carly Beth. Yeah, and, I agree with that. Yeah, she's a smart kid. Like, I really appreciated this character development. Like, she's trying to figure it out. And, like, she wasn't just kind of, why me? Why me? It was like, oh, crap. Why me? Okay. All right. I got to figure this out. Yeah. So... The story has a great message about like self-love and anti-bullying. Did you really, did you experience bullying growing up? Is that kind of like why you put that in there or? Yeah, I did. Um, But I've also been a bully too. And I think um, it's important for people to look back on their own choices and recognize when, you know, you've made a mistake or when you may have hurt somebody else's feelings. And I really think, honestly, everybody is capable of being a bully and you just consciously make the decision not to do it. You know, because we all think mean things. We all notice something that maybe like we think might be funny or gross or whatever it might be. But it's really just having the tact and the respect for somebody to, you know, either not say anything or steer the direction of your focus towards something else. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I was bullied a lot as a kid. I was a military brat, so I um, I moved around a lot and I didn't really have um I didn't really have what other other people have that, you know, sit still in one spot for, you know, an extended period of time. Like I didn't have like that height chart, you know, on the door frame where you make little notches of how, you know, tall you get every year, you know, cause I moved around so much. So for me, I, I always felt growing up that I wasn't really capable of maintaining a friendship because I was always expecting like, how soon am I going to move and have to just start all over? So there was a part of me that I think was a little bitter and resentful. And maybe I took it out on people that were actually trying to be nice to me. So I felt like in some ways I was a bully, but at the same time, because I was doing that, I was getting bullied by other people as well. So, you know, it, it, it kind of like I was fueling the fire myself, you know, yeah. I shouldn't have been doing that. So, yeah. And you know, you can, you can be a bully in different ways. It's not, you can be an indirect bully or, you know, just talking bad about somebody behind their back. That's, you know, that's bullying in a way, you know what I mean? That's like, yeah, it's that kind of stuff. You just kind of kind of watch. And that's also part of what I was saying. Like you are who you hang with. So watch out who you hang with because Rebecca was a bully. Like, and you know, she got Nicole to do all these things and it didn't seem like Nicole really wanted to, you know, she kind of did it because that was her friend doing it. And, you know, and she became a bully even if she didn't do much just by association, you know? So yeah, I like that whole story. And I think that was a good a good addition to it. I think it was a good, you know, a little, a personality, you know, struggle for Nicole basically. Right. And I really wanted the books to say something without being preachy, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I grew up on R.L. Stein's Goosebumps books. I mean, the show, the the books, everything about that, like that was just my whole world. Um, I don't know if you remember what like a phenomenon it was when it came out, but it was so big that I remember at one point I would go into, I want to say it was like Walmart or Kmart or something like that. 
and it was Halloween time. And you know, Halloween gets those dedicated like two or three aisles with masks and candy and decorations and all that. It was all goosebumps in like 1997. Like the whole thing was just goosebumps. And I was like, this is insane. Like this is. That's really funny because I, I started reading goosebumps as they came out in 1992. And so I was uh, 11 and, and 1992 and so by 97, I was not, I was 16 years old. So I really wasn't goosebumps age. And I really wasn't reading them that much at, at that time. Right. And, you know, I grew up a little bit. I came back to them, but, you know, and so I saw that this was going on, but there was a lot that I missed. And then now I'm seeing nowadays all the stuff, all the merchandise, all these like videos and stuff of things that happened. I was like, this all happened. Oh my God. How did I miss all this goosebumps stuff just by a couple of years? It was crazy. But yeah, I mean, it just blew up in a way that I don't think a series has done since probably, I mean, Harry Potter did it afterwards, but after that, I don't think a series has come along like Goosebumps since then. And even Arlstein himself has tried to kind of reboot the series with his uh, Horrorland and Slappy World books, but they're just kind of not the same. Um, There was something just very fresh and original about that original 62 book series, and it hasn't been recreated yet. And, you know, one thing I I do love about the books is they are just very fun, very fast reads. They don't give you a lot of, um, they don't give you a lot to think about, but there are exceptions where some of them have a really good message. Some of them have some heavier themes than the other books. Uh, You mentioned The Haunted Mask. That is one of the best books in the series. And even though he never intended his books to have a message or a moral to them, that one does, you know, and it's, you know, about accepting who you are and loving yourself and and loving the people around you who love you for you. And I mean, basically, yeah, she has to, in order to solve the, you know, get out of the mask. So that's kind of like the whole, that became part of the plot. (laughs) And so I looked at that and, you know, when I decided that I knew that I wanted to write a middle grade horror book series, I wanted to do a lot of what R.L. Stein did with Goosebumps, But at the same time, I think kids today are a little more sophisticated. I think they have uh, a better understanding of the world around them. And I think they can handle some heavier themes than we could back in the 90s. So I wanted to take that and, again, not being preachy about it, but injecting it into the story without realizing, hey, I'm actually absorbing a message here and I don't even realize I'm doing it. So that's what really what I tried to do. But the the cool thing about this book that I, I really like is you know, the main character is a bully, but you can tell she doesn't want to be. She just doesn't care anymore. And the reason for that, obviously, is because her dad has passed away and she feels like, what is the point of caring about anything if it's just going to be stripped away from me? So I felt like by injecting a, a theme like that, like, why, why should I care about my life anymore? And, and kind of giving her that eye-opening experience of like, oh, this is why I should care because these people depend on me because this person depends on me and that it's kind of hard to put into words, but, um, and oh, I, understand. You know, I totally get it. Kids nowadays are a little bit, they're a lot deeper than we were, you know, it's just, yeah. and I don't know if it's because of social media, if it's because of just the times, I don't know. It probably is all of it all together. They just are. And so this is something, you know, kids are a little bit, they can deal with a little bit heavier things because, it is. It's It's not too heavy. Like, you know, we're not, you know, we're not talking about really like slip my wrist type of stuff. You know, we're talking, you know, just really kind of just, uh, you know, dealing with some real stuff, you know, and not just, oh, I didn't, you know, 
I didn't get that toy that I wanted or, you know, my parents won't let me go to that dance, that kind of thing, you know, where it was in the eighties and the nineties, <laughs> this yeah, is kind yeah. of real, you know, Oh my gosh, I'm dealing with something real that happened, you know? And because kids nowadays, they see past the, the hoity toity, you know, nice rose colored filtered stuff. They want it. They want the real stuff. And that's where, this is why it's really good that, that you, you put that in there and, you know, the way you approach everything with such, you know, almost crass language, I want to say, you know, not really crass, <laughs> but more, you know, natural. It doesn't sound like, you know, oh, you, you slug head, you know, that kind of, you know, it doesn't sound forced and goofy and silly, you know, <laughs> does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that comment because dialogue is a pain in the ass to write. So oh, um, yeah, it is. You have to like say it. I've, I've, I used to write some scripts when I was in like high school and stuff and a couple, like a few years back, but it's like, you have to say it everything out loud and you're like, does this sound like a real conversation? <laughs> right, exactly. And you know, that kind of goes back to the whole screenwriting thing. You have to learn how to say as much as you can in as few words as possible. So I'm so glad I had that experience from screenwriting that I could inject into this series because it, I feel like uh, a lot of indie authors, um, especially when it comes to dialogue, like their descriptions are just so good and it really takes you on a journey. You know, it just, it puts you in that environment, in that, that world that they've created. But then when it comes to the dialogue, it's like, y'all, like, you're so long winded here. Like you got to pull back a little bit. Like your descriptions can go on and on and I'll, I'll listen to it all day, but people don't talk like this. So I know we're like, okay, get, move it on, move on with it. And you know what? Here's the thing. Nowadays, it's harder to get people to read like real books. You know, it just is. And more, less and less people are reading and that it sucks, but that's the truth. And I think using dialogue driven um, prose, it, it can, it can help. I think, you know, it's almost like the whole graphic novel thing where you're, you know, you have the visual right there and you have the, you know, the thought bubbles or the, spe- you know, spoken bubbles and you helps you move along sometimes a little bit faster. It helps you get into it because there's not a lot of pressure to like imagine a whole world that this an author is building for you, you know, because right. um, a lot of people that can be a lot of pressure and they just kind of like, I don't want to read this because this is too much to read. This is too much involved, you know. And sometimes I just want to get get to the point, get to the story, exactly. <laughs> get to the meat of it already. Yeah, I love that. So which character do you think you actually are in this book? Uh, I would say I I, 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 ugh, I identify with Nicole the most. Um, just because in 2019, I experienced more loss and uh, just unfortunate circumstances, I guess you could say, than any person should deal with in such a short amount of time. I, I felt so defeated and antagonistic without meaning to. And so when it when I finally decided, um, almost at the influence of my dad, my dad was like, you really should take all these screenplay ideas that you have and just write a book. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I, I listened to him and I, I started writing. And um, initially, Toy Horror Story was supposed to be book one. But as I started writing, I guess all of that energy from my experience from last year just kind of channeled into my writing and fright filter poured out of me like it just i mean i was feverishly just typing away at the story and it literally was concept to finish book like ready for publication in 30 days and i i I just i've never done something like that before i have some plays that i've been working on for two years you know i've had short stories that have taken me half a year and that book i don't know what it was about it but it just 
I could not stop writing it. And, you know, I look back on it now and there's a, a few things about it that I'm not happy with per se, but overall, I'm just, I'm so proud of that book. And I think it really does reflect who I am, not only as a writer, but as a person. And you can see me when you read that book. And that's, you know, that's a very hard thing to do as a writer is put yourself in a book. And I, I feel like I really accomplished it with it. Well, you get the flow coming out of it. You know, sometimes you just got to, once you start and it just, it naturally starts coming out, you can't stop. And if you, you know, because if you stop and think about it too much, you're not going to get it out, you know? Right. So I totally, I respect that. That's awesome. You know, I am, I would definitely be Nicole as well, I think, <laughs> by the way. Although I, think I, I will say I'm also a little bit of her younger brother just because I used to love to bother the shit out of my sister. So yeah, <laughs> definitely a little bit of him too. Well, I say I Nicole because, you know, I used to fall in with the wrong people all the time, you know, and let them influence me too much, you know, and but I would also kind of turn into this. I'll still kind of do this. I kind of turn into a leader in crisis situations when things have to get done, you know, because that's what she did. She just kind of like, all right, this has got to get done. And, uh, you know, my somehow my head goes clear and I just know what needs to get done. And just like I'm badass Dustin all of a sudden, like a switch flips, you know. And, you know, it's a great feeling. I love it. And that's what I I felt like. I was like, all right, Nicole, let's do this. Right. And like you said before, you know, I think she's quick. You know, when you read a lot of these books, they kind of just drag on forever of somebody like, what could have done this to me? I just can't understand how this could have. Like, no, she like within, I think, a chapter. She's like, I already know what happened. I'm going to figure this out. You know, and she's just moving, moving, moving after that. She's like, enough wallowing. Let's get out here and figure this. You know, I love it. Exactly. And I think that is something a lot of writers forget about is, you know, we are a generation that grew up with media. You know, we went to Blockbuster as a kid and we, you know, we are on cell phones now. We do social media and like we've seen it all. So I think when we have any kind of strange circumstance happen, we are the first to be like, could this be something supernatural or like something that could totally be impossible? You know what? It actually is happening. I buy it. Let's let's figure it out. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Kids are a lot more. I mean, I even thought this when I was reading Goosebumps sometimes I was like, okay, come on, you know, it's better than this. <laughs> you know, you know, and we're not, you know, don't talk down to us. Just we're smart because you had to write as if you're a kid and thinking, you know, kids know what's up and that's how you have to write it. You know, kids know what's up and you have to know that because if you write like, oh, these kids won't understand this or these kids are, oh, this is the type of, you know, I have to make this like this kind of dumb this down. You don't do that because they'll see right through it. Yep. And I tell people all the time, half the time, the audience knows the story better than you do. So treat it like that. There you go. Exactly. Once you put it out there, it's actually the audience's story. Yep. I think that's my, that's my feeling on it. I agree with that. Okay. Now we're going to go on to book two toy horror story. We start off this story by meeting the Fernsby family, who is moving into a new house in a new town. And Brogan Fernsby is our main character, and apparently he has a bad reputation for being a prankster, like ever since he was really little. And so he's basically a YouTuber that went viral with his prank videos. Of course, Brogan can't stand the fact that he had to move away from all his friends and he's bitter towards his parents, and he can't stand it that his little sister, Cammie, always seems to get her way. Well, I mean, if you weren't a jerk kid <laughs> with constant <laughs> tricks on people, maybe it'd be a different story. <laughs> so that's just what I'm thinking. 
But Cammy also carries around this old smelly doll she calls Isabella. And Isabella, for some reason, makes me think of Angelica's doll, Cynthia, from Rugrats. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just yeah, like, she's, totally got, she's missing hair. You know, the doll <laughs> smells. It's, you know, I don't know what kind of doll it was you were going for in that description. But and it's probably like a baby doll or something. I don't know. But I pictured like this Barbie doll like Cynthia. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, so Brogan finds this weird clown doll in a locked closet. Keyword, locked closet. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently this thing is named Mr. Squeaks. And yes, he does squeak. And at first he gets to keep it, but then his parents give it to his sister after another prank lands him in hot water. So he's pissed off and jealous, and that's when Brogan shows his sociopathic side by deciding to gaslight his little sister into thinking this clown doll is alive. However, the tables get turned on him, and he can't help but think that Mr. Squeaks might be after him instead. I really don't want to say anymore, but (laughs) this one also has a good twist to it. So what would you say is the life lesson to be learned from this one, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's definitely my uh, alpha generation take on the boy who cried wolf. So uh, don't play pranks on people. Don't ever do that. That's, a, you know, Arl Stein always wrote those characters in. I was like, stop it, stop it. And that's when you always knew there's a prankster. There was going to be a lot of false cliffhanger chapter endings. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of which, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because let me tell you how difficult it is to end a chapter on a cliffhanger that isn't always a false alarm because that's something I noticed. Um, I've been revisiting the uh, original Goosebumps series lately and so many of those books, you know, I love them to death, but so many chapters end with a fake out like, Oh, it's just me or, Oh, it's just, you know, a, a regular spider. Or, oh, it's just, you know, my dog making noise, you know, like there's so many and it just goes on and on forever. And that was very challenging for me when I was outlining these books is coming up with cliffhangers that weren't always that false alarm. Like they actually continued to move the story forward and it was actually something that um, drove the plot along or it was a legit scare. So, well, you didn't actually have like, like, like teaser type of cliffhanger. You had more, you did have some, but like you had more like kind of suspenseful. Oh my gosh. We just learned some mega information. What? And that's like the end of that chapter. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like cliffhanger, like, and then something jumped out at me. Not like that. It was, you know, it was more like the part of like, oh, more information. This is juicy. That was kind of that kind of cliffhanger, which I like. So I think that was, I think you executed that really well. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Um, <laughs> so which character would you say you were in this one? Uh, honestly, I kind of felt like Cammy, the little sister, because my sister is four years older than I am. And growing up, she always thought I got my way about everything. And to this day, I, I don't think that's true, but she'll tell you otherwise. And so I always felt like she was a little antagonistic growing up towards me because she was the oldest and she got all the responsibility. And, you know, I got most of the attention that was probably given to her at first. And so I, I think she kind of resented me for it a little bit. Um, but I, I see a little bit of myself in Brogan too, where. Uh, you know, you, you kind of feel helpless under the influence of other people. You, you know, 
you don't get a choice about where you move or the house that you go to or the school that you go to or the neighborhood you live in. You know, you you just feel like all your choices are made for you. And then the one avenue, the the one thing that is you, you know, like his prank videos, he kind of gets stripped of and he, he no longer gets to do it. So he just feels like, you know, who am I? Like, what, what, what makes me me now? You know, I feel like everything's made for me. So um, I did get a little bit of that vibe sometimes, especially, like I said, growing up as a military brat and having all my choices made for me. So, uh, yeah, I definitely see myself in, in both brother and sister character. Okay. Yeah. I can totally see that. That's actually good. That kind of identity crisis of, you know, I moved somewhere new and I got to make all these new friends and what's going on. And, you know, this was kind of ripped out from underneath me, you know, I, I would say that I think I'm definitely Liam, the friend <laughs> um, who Brogan meets at school because <laughs> he's this fanboy of Brogan's prank video channel. And he's just this like, he's, he's enthusiastic. He's this really enthusiastic kid who's just down for an adventure. And as long as it's not too crazy. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so that's totally me. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Come on. All right. I'll go. All right. We're not going to do it if it's going to hurt us. <laughs> that actually means a lot to me to hear you say that because I struggled so hard with introducing him because he doesn't even make an appearance until I want to say halfway into the book. And so at that point, you know, uh, shit has hit the fan, you know, things are really happening. And then he just kind of comes in almost as like a, uh, a light spot, you know, like we need to breathe for a second. This is getting a little heavy. This is getting a little intense and, you know, we need Probably some, need some support. Yeah. So, um, that really means a lot that you connected with him and, and appreciated him. So thank you for that. Well, yeah, he, you know, can we give me that, you know, that, that eighties vibe or the friends go and they investigate the stuff, you know, what's going on and, you know, there's a whole scene where they're in the house together and they're looking for stuff. You know, it, it's really good. And I liked it. And it was it was a fun little little story. I love those characters together as well. I think I think those would be fun characters. If you ever thought of something, if you wanted to, I'm not saying you should, but if you wanted to bring those two back for something else, that would be a good team <laughs> for some adventures. Okay, so let's say Amazon, since you printed through Amazon decided to create a TV series and movies from for Prime, you know, by reaching out to their self-published authors. Let's just say they're like, hey, we got a lot of people here. You know, we got a lot of properties that we, we can get right away. You know, they're right here. Okay. You know, in the fantasy realm where that might happen, <laughs> if you had input, who would write or direct or star in Twisted Books to Leave You Shook, the series or movie? Um. Well, who would write it? Me pay me. <laughs> I need a career. <laughs> well, you would, you can also be head writer if you wanted to make a full series out of it. You know, everybody right. it. <laughs> I will happily write the teleplay. Sign me up. <laughs> Give me a manager. <laughs> um, as far as directing goes and uh, acting as well for the kids, I would totally say newcomers, like get, you know, some really talented kids. You know, you look back at goosebumps and they actually got some legit talent. I think um, Ryan Gosling was in an early episode and look at him now. So, um, yeah, I would definitely say just find some unknown kids that are just really, really good. Uh, for the parents, I would love to see the kids from Goosebumps, the TV show from the 90s, as the parents in Twisted Books to Leave You Shook. I would love oh, that'd to see be that fun. cameo. Um, like just to see Carly Beth as either the mom from Fright Filter or the mom from Toy Horror Story, I would love it. So yeah, I would love to see that happen. Or um, even the the little girl who was in Night of the Living Dummy 2, I would love to see her as the mom in Toy Horror Story, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, that was another thing I want to say about Toy Horror Story. It kind of had slappy nods to it, you know, a little bit. 
And yeah. uh, even kind of, you know, even, you know, similar, you know, situations kind of arise, but I'm not going to give any more away. But yeah, I, I liked it. I kind of felt that too. I was like, oh, this is his slappy. All right, cool. And that's really what I wanted is I wanted uh, this series to kind of have a mascot, like an unofficial mascot, I guess you could say. And I felt like Mr. Squeaks was that. But at the same time, I wanted to have um, some twists and turns that you weren't necessarily expecting. I think when you're a seasoned reader and you, you know, you've read a million and one of these types of books, you'll probably see the ending coming. But um, I think for kids, it'll be a lot of fun to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. And, you know, have that kind of anticipation for a sequel. That That's really what I wanted with this book. Um, you know, each book ends with a cliffhanger that would warrant a sequel, but I think Toy Horror Story in particular has the ending that's like, this really should have a sequel. Like this needs to be a continued story to me anyway um yeah because it it is kind of it's kind of it's more of a it's definitely more of a cliffhanger because you're building that suspense at the end with the way you end it so yeah i I like the way you did that and i can totally see that and you know what's funny is that rl stein or whoever was the marketing people for goosebumps wanted that curly skeleton to be the mascot and he just was not taking off yeah i don't think and you basically Slappy's what took off and he wasn't even supposed to be a mascot. Yeah, <laughs> and he's the one that really people were looking at and it was like, yeah, hello. He's awesome. That's why. So yeah, to have that kind of doll haunted doll type story, you know, it's, it's a good thing to have. It's always good to have that. I think, you know, yeah. every kid likes that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And for me, I would love to be able, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. So just going anywhere is next to impossible, but one day I would love to be able to visit like classrooms and libraries and actually have a physical Mr. Squeaks doll. Like I would love to reach out to somebody and have like a custom made doll created that I could like tote around and, you know, you just want to traumatize children. Exactly. <laughs> Why not? And he's sitting right behind you and they look back and he's like, hello. Ah! <laughs> so, all right, you have, um, a new twist of books to leave you shook coming out soon. Hopefully you, you know, you made an announcement, you know, a little while ago that you had to postpone a little bit, but you, you ha- you're still working on it and it's called, um, what is it called? Bad luck shriek. That's right. Bad luck shriek. Hmm. Is there any, can you give us any hint of what that's about? Or how about this? Give me, give me three words that you think would describe it. Okay. Um, I'm actually comfortable telling you what it's about. Um, I mean, I really don't, I really don't mind it. It, It's not a big deal to me. Um, So this one to me has been my most ambitious of the books so far and probably of anything I've ever written because I'm basically creating a world that doesn't exist, Um, but it feels like it could exist right now. So it's very Goosebumps meets Black Mirror. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Black Mirror, but it basically takes technology and it's a technology that doesn't exist, but it feels like, oh my gosh, why why is that not a thing? Like that seems real to me. Um, so that's what I wanted to do with this book is I wanted to have a Black Mirror Goosebumps version for kids. And so Bad Luck Shriek is basically about a girl named Willow, and she is just completely down on her luck. Uh, her parents recently divorced. Um, she just lost the lead role in the school play. Um, she. Uh, broke her arm, you know, just all these different things just keep happening. And she's just like, oh my gosh, I have the worst luck ever. But Willow also lives in a world where leprechauns have been discovered and they've been bred and domesticated as house pets. But 
only the rich can afford them because they're supposed to bring good luck. So um, one day during a field trip, uh, Willow and her classmates go to the actual breeder of these leprechauns and she decides, you know what? I can't afford these. Nobody here can afford these, but I need some good luck. So she decides to steal one and take it home with her. But stealing the leprechaun has consequences. And that's all I'll say about it. Ooh, that's ooh. I like that. And I like how you're using mythological characters. That's great. I like that. I think that I think that's really cool. Like, and you used it wasn't really about technology, but it was like a, a, an alternate reality where all this takes place. So that's that's really neat. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, what about anything else? Are you working on any other screenplays, or maybe any other books? Maybe not even middle grade. Are you doing anything else? Like, so um, I actually have a. It's basically a, a word document of all of my plans for the Twisted Books to Leave You Shook series. And I think I'm up to about eight books so far. Um, these are not going to happen, you know, within a year or anything like that. Like these do take time to write and I want them to be good. Um, but hopefully Bad Luck Shriek will be out. I, I want to say spring, but it might be a little closer to summer. Um, I was trying really, really hard to do a St. Patrick's Day release just because I thought it would have been perfect. But you know, I don't want to um, sacrifice the quality of the book just for a release date. So I'd rather just take my time with it. Um, and then I have book four uh, planned for Halloween. Um, and then outside of the uh, Twisted Books to Leave You Shook series, I still do a lot of screenwriting. I do a lot of um, short screenplays. I have one feature screenplay that I wrote for um, an indie director, his name's Adam Gambrell, and he actually worked with me on two of my short films. And so when he got this idea for a movie that he really wants to make himself, he came to me about it and was like, we got to make this happen. So we finished up the script for that. And um, hopefully within the next year or two, depending on the pandemic and everything else, uh, that'll actually get like everybody <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> depending on the pandemic, whether or not we're going to. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hopefully within the next couple of years, that'll actually be made and I'll have a movie under my belt, which is, you know, the dream. That's been a dream of mine for fingers crossed for you. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I have another uh, feature script called Red Light, which I have written over and over and over again. But this latest draft is something I'm really, really proud of, and I hope it takes off. But again, it's all about getting your foot in the door and finding the right person to read it. So we'll see what happens. Well, you know, hey, you got a lot of stuff going on. So, I mean, you know, not everything's going to take off, but I mean, hopefully, I mean, I, I wish it well would, obviously, but, <laughs> but you know, sometimes, you know, you do enough, you have a lot of balls in the air, you know, so to speak. So, right, you know, right. and, <laughs> you know, that's part of, you know, being a writer too, is you never want to write one thing and then just assume that that's going to be the thing that makes you, you know what I mean? Like, that's going to be the thing that takes off. Like, no, you have to assume constantly that that is just going to sit forever and you move on to the next thing. And you write it because you'd love to. You don't just say, you know, I'm going to write this and this is going to take off. Like, because that right there, you're writing it for the wrong reasons. Like, exactly. right there. You know, you, you want to write because you had this passion for the story that you're putting out there. And, you know, obviously you want to plan it out if you can and, you know, and, and be delicate and make sure you craft it just so. But you don't want to be just, you know, all right, this is my masterpiece. Everybody, this is it. <laughs> this is all it's going to be. <laughs> my name is George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Just, right. And, you know, I actually have people, um, surprisingly, a lot of filmmakers that want to turn to 
book writing. Um, they reach out to me and they're just like, Hey, you know, I was thinking about writing a, a middle grade book and, you know, I would love to get your advice. And I'm, first of all, I'm blown away by that because, you know, this whole series started just because, you know, I wanted to do it. I didn't think like anybody would actually connect with it the way that they have. And, and for people to reach out and say, Hey, I want advice from you. And, you know, you really inspired me to do this. And I'm just like, how did I inspire? Like, I didn't inspire you. I got laid off. I got dumped. I had to move back home with my parents. Like, how am I inspiring you by doing this? So, um, oh, I totally get that. It's kind of, you know, it's, I guess it's like kind of imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, I'm just a regular guy. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I just love my life. But apparently you set a good example. So, you know, own it. That's great. <laughs> you know, so it's just, you know, every day I'm surprised when, you know, something that I've written, whether it be these books or, you know, a screenplay from the past or whatever it may be, when it connects with somebody and they reach out and, and say that they connected with it, I'm just, I don't even know. I'm almost like numb to it. Like, I don't know how to process it. Like, that's just crazy to me that something that was in my head is now on paper. And now you're reading that paper and, you know, it, and you actually it's, like it. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad you're staying humble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and speaking of reaching out to people, I saw that you had sent a copy of uh, fright filter to Miss Coco Peru. Oh my gosh. Uh, and yeah, I forgot to mention that earlier. And speaking of drag queens, actually, um, <laughs> which is probably why Ms. Coco reached back out. was like, this was a great book, you know, and I thought that was awesome. I thought that was so good. I mean, you could not, you know, convince me prior to that, that that moment was going to happen. What led up to that? Like what made you think to, to send it all the way to, to Ms. Coco? So um, Coco Peru, first of all, is like my favorite drag queen on the planet. And I'm like a RuPaul's Drag Race junkie and no queen on that show can compare to Coco Peru. So if you are a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race and you don't know who Coco Peru is, do your research, learn your history, Google that bitch on YouTube, watch her videos. She will show you how comedy is done. Okay. Someone is passionate about Coco. <laughs> oh my, she is amazing. And on top of that, she's such a great person. You know, she uses her whole drag persona to, you know, help out with charities and, and for civil rights. And I mean, it's just, she is a force to be reckoned with. And and what I so, love is that Miss Coco shows up and doesn't play like different versions of different drag queens. And it's always Miss Coco in all different types of fiction where she shows up. Like the first thing I saw Miss Coco in was Trick, which was like 2000, 2001, I think. And then that was a big famous scene. If you've never seen Trick, there's a big famous bathroom scene. Go watch it. It's everybody knows this. And that's how I got introduced to Miss Coco. And then there was other, you know, there were like, what was it? Uh, girls will be girls. And um, yes, I think so. I haven't yeah. seen it myself, but I think that's what it is. I've only seen part of it, but there's that. And then also on Will and Grace, Miss Coco who showed up in the first version of Will and Grace and the new version of Will and Grace. Exactly. So. I thought that was really cool as well. So Miss Coco's been around and, and has is is notable in Hollywood and you know the scene. So I, I really I thought that was just awesome when I saw that and had you know she had made that post saying you know this was a great book and thank you so much Chris for sending this to me and I was just like oh my god I want to know I got to know the story like how did you send this to her like what happened? So I was talking to a guy um, around the time that I was writing Fright Filter and I, I published it myself um, and he. Uh, knew how much I loved Coco Peru. So for my birthday, he got me one of those cameo videos from Coco Peru. I don't know if you know what oh, cameo okay. is, but it's basically where you pay a celebrity or, you know, a person of influence to um, record a video and send it, you know, to you as like a greeting card, so to speak. And so he did that for me and Coco, um, you know, gave me this amazing video. And in the video, she, I guess, 
uh, he had told her that I had written and published my own book. And so she found out about that. And she's like, I love supporting indie authors. I'm totally all about this. Please let me know about your book. And so she actually reached out to me on Instagram and said, Hey, how do I find your book? And so I ended up actually sending her, you know, a complimentary copy of it. And she sent back a, uh, like a headshot that was signed and a card saying, thank you. And a few weeks later, maybe a month later, she actually showed up in my inbox and was just like, I read your book and I loved it. I loved its message. And I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. Like, this is insane to me. Like a year ago, I was in a hospital bed watching your YouTube videos just to smile. Like, how is this happening? So, Oh, that's so great. And you know what? I mean, if you want to be campy with it, if you wanted to cast Miss Coco as the mom in Fright Filter. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, she can play all the characters. I don't care. I will be happy with it. Or the teacher. Yes. Oh, please. The teacher would be perfect. She actually makes a, a cameo in Toy Horror Story. The The Fernsbees have a dog named Coco. And I, uh, I had it. a feeling I remembered reading that and I thought, is this about Miss Coco? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of little like tidbits there that are all nods to Coco, like um, her being bothered by everything. Uh, the dog going and sniffing the bulk garbage on the side of the road. Uh, I think even the, the dog is, I want to say it's a Boston Terrier. And I couldn't obviously get a dog with a New York accent, but I was like, Boston, close enough. So <laughs> <laughs> a New York Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah awesome. did you send a copy of that one to her i did not i need to i, I really should but i, I just you should and then say by the way that you're the dog <laughs> I, I did take a picture of the page that showed that and i sent it to her and she was just like oh my gosh and the dog is even bothered by everything this is amazing so that <laughs> that's great oh that's oh, i'm so happy for you. i'm jealous too but i'm i'm also really happy that's awesome Well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. I mean, that was just, I, I really enjoyed these books and thank you for, you know, talking about them with me. And, you know, I can't wait to see more of these coming out because I love your voice. I love the way you write. I think it's just really cool. It, you know, it didn't feel condescending. It didn't feel, you know, too fluffy. It just, it was, you know, it was easy reading. And anybody, if you you know go on Amazon, pick up Chris's books, uh, Twisted Books to Leave You Shook. And it's Fright Filter and Toy Horror Story. Again, if you want to reach out to Chris, just check out Twisted Books to Leave You Shook on his Instagram page and on Twitter. Um, are you on Twitter? I was, but I kind of got sick of it, so I got rid of Twitter. But Twisted Books to Leave You Shook is on Facebook and on Instagram, at Twisted Books to Leave You Shook. Also, the books are available on Amazon, like I said, for a really good price. Even if you aren't a kid, they are fun to read. So definitely check them out and be sure to leave him some good reviews on Amazon or Goodreads or both, actually. Yes, it helps please. all authors to get their work noticed nowadays. And, you know, we need to do that. Why not just help each other out, right? So um, speaking of which, if you could help me out by clicking subscribe and giving the show a rating and review, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> um, that'd be awesome. I'd really appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Dustin underscore Holden or on Instagram at Dustin Can Read. You can also reach me via email at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com. And like I said, go ahead and click subscribe so you can be alerted of new episodes when they debut. Until next time, Dustin Can Read. Thank you and have a good night. Thank you, Dustin. <laughs>